All right, welcome everybody to the EM Over Easy podcast. I am Andy Little with my other hosts, Drew and Tanner, and we are joined by the guys from EM Board Bombs, Blake Briggs and Iltafat Hussein. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Excited to be on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is really good. So we're going to do a little one for one, but this is going to be the episode for us. And we wanted to bring you guys on to talk about a clinical grind, which is, again, as I always say when we record these, this is Drew's brainchild. I have to admit, it's one idea that I wasn't sure was going to work, but has turned out beautifully and is one of our favorite things to record and for our listeners to listen to. God forbid I ever have an idea for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we typically ignore your ideas, so I'm glad this one got through. I'm glad this one got through. So for this one, we're going to talk about a case I had a long time ago. The benefit of clinical grinds is we all kind of have those dozen or so cases that just kind of leave us in the kind of stick with us either for because of the way the outcome was or what happened during the case. And this is one of those. So I'll kind of set the stage for you guys if you guys are ready. Can't wait. I love Andy's cases. Nice. All right. So you're working a, you're working a shift. Now, this was a resident shift. So kind of go back to residency and imagine you're a resident in this perspective. It was later in the night, so not a, not a true night shift, but kind of that swing shift. And your busy shift, is, as always, wherever you work, it's always busy. You're interrupted by EMS saying they're bringing in a patient. And so I really want to kind of start with that encode because it kind of sets the stage for both how this case ended up and some of the the places we kind of got stuck. And so EMS says they're bringing in an elderly female that has an uncontrollable headache. Now, a part of their story, so you hear that and you're automatic and I'm at the I'm at the box and then I start listening to the rest of their story and I'm there, the charge nurse is there and my attendant's there. And it's one thing I like about this case is that each of us had a different perspective of where the patient was coming from from this. So an elderly female with an uncontrollable headache they go on and tell the story that they were called to a local birthday party. This patient had passed out at the birthday party. You know, they they got there. She was unresponsive. They gave her Narcan, thinking that it might have been a drug overdose. And then magically, she's awake with this uncontrollable headache. So when you guys hear that storyline, what do you guys think is going on at that moment? I don't ever like elderly people that pass out. You know, it, it, bad things happen to old people more so than they happen to young people. So I, I'm guessing, Andy, your spider sense, because I've worked with you enough to know that uh, you were probably feeling the same way. But I also know that we're in the middle of a, a busy emergency department. And if you only had a couple beds left and now somebody's awake and alert and talking and Narcan is what fixed them, somebody along the lines and possibly even me is going to think, oh, you know, how, how sick can this patient be? Can can we maybe put them in the corner and get to them in a little bit? Or are they triage appropriate or whatnot? I mean, so the elderly passed out makes me nervous, but the, the rest of the story is, you know, whatever, we're fine now, right? Yeah, I think that's the easy big trip up there is Something doesn't work in my head when I hear elderly passing out, but then also you hear Narcan and then you start to go, well, is this just going to be one of those easy kind of like watch and dispo type of thing? Just sometimes when when it's the age and it, something doesn't fit, it kind of makes you feel weird about it. Um, and I th- I'm guessing that's where we're going to be going with this. But the reality is how many old people are we seeing now? And, and, and old, I mean, I feel like I'm getting old, but that do drugs. I mean, I had an 80-year-old lady the other day that admitted to doing cocaine on a regular basis, right? I mean, she was, what What the heck, right? I mean, so it's not just, you know, young people anymore that are overdosing and that are doing street drugs or doing illicit illicit drugs. It's It's everybody. And so, you know, the story maybe isn't that much of a leap of faith. So I think you guys bring up a couple things that are important. And as they were giving sign up over the EMS squad box, as I was listening, I also couldn't like even now I still hear it. She was screaming in the background and we're talking like inconsolable screaming, yelling. 
And I heard her, I mean, I heard her even on Squawk Box, my head, my head, something's wrong with my head. And so as this is going on, EMS says, oh, by the way, we haven't been able to get vital signs because she's inconsolable and she's acting erratic. And as I'm thinking in my brain, like, okay, this person needs to get put into a room. Something's not adding up. Uh, my charge nurse comes to me and says, like, I think this is just an overdose. We don't really have a – we have a bed left, but I really want to keep it for a sick person. Do you think we can bump her out to triage? And so that was – one kind of took me back. But if that was what was presented to you, what would your thought kind of be with that, Blake or Iltafat? Yeah, no, that's one of those classic it's on you at the end of the day to do the right thing. And it might be easier for other people and help their workflows. But as you as the physician, it's on you. And that's why I tell my residents as well. And you guys know this also. And what you tell folks you're teaching is at the end of the day, it's on you to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And even if it means slowing down the ER's workflow, the biggest thing you mentioned that was so key is that patient is screaming, that patient's elderly, and that patient's screaming about a headache after they completely passed out. That's multiple red flags there. You need to have the appropriate recess area for that patient. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is, is I, th- I think Narcan actually plays a negative role here in terms of a huge source of bias. Uh, you know, imagine the situation if this patient passed out and the Narcan wasn't in the picture. I'm sure the charge nurse and EMS would treat this situation completely differently, which really delves into kind of the amount of biases that are present that are just part of medicine, you know, like a momentum bias really uh, is is really coming to mind for me in this case of, oh, we gave her Narcan and she's awake now. And that's that classic, oh, we treated something and here's a response. It must be A instead of B, which, you know, as we all know, you know, you can't say it's GERD by giving a GI cocktail. You can't say it's ACS by giving nitro. You can't say it's a migraine by giving a migraine cocktail. It's kind of the same thing here, it seems like. So that's really an interesting piece of this is the Narcan playing a unfortunately confounding role and not at all throwing shade on EMS's decision to give it. But it's just one of those situations that, uh, now it's our job to, as Iltfot said, to take that information and plug it in cognitively. And, you know, I go through this sometimes on shift when it's really hitting the fan, you're just getting slammed all day and you see sick patient after sick patient after sick patient. And it's almost like this inherent desire, especially your residents, you know, when you're working with them, they're like, you know, hopefully this next patient, we can just discharge them. You know, you want to do the right thing for the hospital, the flow of the department. And then inside you're like, you know what, I, it would be easy to just discharge this patient if they're here for some reason. But you know, at the end of the day, you still have to do the right thing for the patient, even if it means boarding in the ED, they need to be in the hospital. Yeah, I kind of like where you guys are going with this, the idea that because that as as my charge nurse said that to me, I thought to myself, I was like, all right, so and I, I literally ran the board with my attending. And I said, can we get rid of somebody knowing that we only had one bed left trying to appease the charge nurse and say they're going to be here in seven minutes, who can we get rid of in seven minutes, but we ran our board. We had a bunch of people in the middle of their workups, nobody that could really kind of be ushered out. And there's only one bed left in the department. And so we had to go to our charges and say, look, we want the bed. And a little bit of an argument ensued, kind of a back and forth of, well, hey, what am I supposed to do? What if we get another sick patient? And I basically just pushed back. And I said, hey, I get it. We only have one bed left, but this patient sounds sick. And of course, the argument of was, well, you know, they used Narcan and Narcan played a big role in the bias there. I like that you said momentum bias, Blake, because I felt like that's what it was. We had to stop the freight train of blaming this on an overdose to do what was right with an elderly patient that passed out. And so it was kind of taking a timeout and doing kind of a rewind and going through the scenario to where eventually we were able to convince nursing like, look, I know that we only have one bed left, but this needs to be the patient that takes it. So 
the EMS comes, there was still kind of this continued, you know, kind of shrugging off that, oh, this lady was just acting erratically, that we get her in the bed and literally coming through the door, she's grabbing her head, she's screaming, my head, my head. And again, my spidey senses just keep going off. My gut's saying there is something really wrong with this lady. And also knowing that, you know, by this point, people can act really well. You know, we, we, we on the show we've done before, you know, there are minor league and major league people in terms of their ability to put on a show for the department. But there was something about this lady. And so I said, look, let's get her in a room. We're evaluator. And then lucky, I mean, I remember when we did her vital signs, I was like, please have high blood pressure. Please. I remember literally like praying. Why are she- you wishing bad on your patients, Andy? <laughs> what, well, kind of, <laughs> what kind of physician are you? <laughs> well, I was wishing it mostly so other people who were trying to blow her off would see that there was a problem. And I feel like that's, we, we get that way in medicine to where we physically have to be shown and be given an undeniable fact of, her blood pressure ended up being 240 over 190. And it was like, guys, something's wrong. Maybe she does have drugs on board. That's great. Maybe the Narcan is what woke her up. But she has a blood pressure of 240 over 190. That is not something that she can make up. That's not something that's benign. And that's something that needs immediate attention. And so, and Drew says, I wished, and I, I wasn't wishing unwell on my patient. I just wanted it to be what I thought it was. I didn't want to be, you know. You want to be wrong. You, you did not. Wrong. You wanted to be able to show the charge nurse that you had your spuddy sense and they were accurate and to justify the decision you made, which is a really natural thing to want to do. Now, the interesting thing here is we just talked about diagnosis bias or or, or bias, you know, momentum building about a patient that uh, your charge nurse didn't want to put in a room. And now all of a sudden you're displaying the same thing by wanting to find something on a patient that may or may not have something wrong, right? So it, it's, such, it's such an interesting thing that we have go on on these things you know how many times do you see like ah this patient's it's the classic you know i think they're gonna have a not to spill the beans on anything but i think they're gonna have a subarachnoid hemorrhage right it was like a thunderclap headache and then they come into the ed and 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 this is what it is and and you do your whole workup and they had a migraine right and then how many people also have come in saying that this is like my migraines but just a little bit different and you're like you know, perseverating, do you even get a scan on the patient? Then all of a sudden you scan them and they have a massive bleed or they have a mass or something. I mean, it, it's medicine is humbling, right? But it's so interesting how we, we put our desire for something to be wrong or not to be wrong on a patient. And then the question is, can we find it? And if we do or don't find it, or do we allow ourselves to accept that as the answer? So did you accept the answer and did your charge nurse accept the answer? That's what I want to know as I interrupted there. No, so there, I have to admit that humble pie doesn't taste good whether you're no, no matter who gives it to you right and given uh, it or taking it given it or taking it not very fun and so luckily i have to admit that the attending i was working with was not that kind of attending we all know there are those attendings do exist and as a younger resident i did not feel the that i had the gusto to do that but the best thing was is that we all saw the blood pressure in the context of elderly female passed out blood pressure high in the bed still screaming grabbing her head and it was immediately we got to take care of this lady. And so even though she wasn't a stroke, we called a stroke alert because in our department, that's the quickest way to get a head CT. Called a stroke alert, got into a head CT, large intracranial hemorrhage, most likely from a, a burst aneurysm. She subsequently deteriorated. We intubated her and she got transferred. Really at the end of the day though, I remember doing, this was actually one of the first times in a residency where we kind of did a circle of the wagons at the end. So I remember we picked her up, we packaged her off, sent her to the specialty hospital to get, to get seen by uh, neurosurgery. And as she's leaving, my attending kind of 
had the idea that, hey, maybe we should just chat about this patient because I feel like there were some things that were missed. And in that conversation, he talked a lot about the initial call, the way he viewed it, the way I viewed it, and the way the nurse viewed it. And I still remember when he talked about his perception was is that all he heard was elderly female passed out. And he said, at that point of the conversation, I knew they needed a bed. There wasn't going to, like, we could argue about it, but that patient was getting a bed. They were over 55. They had a syncopal episode. They are now awake. They're getting a bed. And for me, it was syncopal episode. And to me, I remember saying like the screaming in the background is what did it for me. And then it took us that much farther down the road for the nurse to say, when I saw the blood pressure, I realized she needed a bed. And so it was really getting all of us in the room to talk about how we all needed to be at that first line of elderly patient who passed out, regardless of the etiology, deserved a bed in our department. One of the things that I like to use in these kind of scenarios to help decrease those anchor biases would be the transition points, right? And in, and in healthcare, it's set up for at those points is probably the highest risk spot for an anchor bias to pass through and get handed off to somebody else. And a simple one is the trickle down of this patient, right? You have family member who calls. EMS has to transition from the family member to, the, uh, to EMS. EMS has to transition from EMS to the ER. ER has to transition from ER to the hospitalist. And somewhere in those transitions, it's really easy for someone to say one word, one key thing, and someone's going to anchor on it and then run with it. As you guys pointed out earlier, the Narcan was the, the key in this one that really kind of was that initial anchor bias of, hey, even though EMS may not have anchored on this as an overdose, that was just part of their protocol. But if you don't specifically know that protocol that they have set up for someone who's passed out that may be a potential overdose they may just automatically do it anyways. And so making sure that instead of anchoring on the things at the transition points, you are absorbing the information and then starting from scratch with your own thoughts. And the same thing happens to us, right? When we are seeing patients and we admit a patient for chest pain, we are like, hey, this is an ACS rule out. We want to make sure that you know they don't bump their trope in the next little bit. And the hospitalist, you check later, orders a PE scan. And you're like, well, what the heck? That, that, that person does not have a PE. But again, this is the anchor bias that they don't have to always trust our workup. If they see something that concerns them or they find out some other information because they spent more time talking to the patient, boom, that, that's complete justification of to do what they need to do. And so I think the big thing that I will kind of put in for this is look out for those transition points as, the, as those danger areas for, for anchoring on something that may or may not be true. Yeah, one interesting thing too is the other side where say that patient came and they were screaming, yelling, but just agitated because the Narcan at the end of the day worked and just woke them up. And now the charge nurse or somebody else is saying, we should just put them in triage. You know, they're just taking up a bed now. And it's still, you have to think to yourself, no, I did the right thing. I think that's what what's so important and reminding yourself that it doesn't matter if I'm right at the end of the day with the end diagnosis, but did I approach the situation the right way despite what that end diagnosis ended up being? Yeah. I like that you bring that up because I feel like too many times if we were to bank our entire success as being good at what we do, we really are not that successful. We do a lot of workups to rule out a lot of bad things and everything's normal. You know, how, how many times have we ordered a CAT scan saying, boom, they've got appendicitis <laughs> and then it's nothing. Or man, you've got an ovarian torsion and it's nothing. It's a good thing we're not odds makers in the, with the casino because we probably wouldn't shell out very well. But because we do what we do, which is make important decisions with little or no information, I found at least when I reflected on this case and on other cases since then, you know, when I trust my gut, my gut will always do 
a better job of making sure I'm more conservative to where I kind of look at the patient as a whole, stop and rethink, maybe do more than maybe the literature says that I should to make sure what's best for the patient. And so I think you bring up a really good a good point about the idea of it's actually okay to be wrong. And that doesn't make the other end of the argument also okay, where they should have gone out to triage. I was just going to say, especially early on in your career, because that's how we develop gestalt that later on. I mean, everyone knows that attending when you are a med student or resident that everyone's just like, they just know. Like they, they look at a patient and it's like, they just know everything. It's because they've done this thousands of times. They've seen the same exact presentation over and over and over. And so they don't necessarily have anchor biases. They just have experience. Yeah. Our transition early on, I was going to say for me, especially being in academics, working with residents is, uh, I consider myself very evidence-based when it comes to workups. And, you know, it's almost impossible as I've learned uh, very quickly that, you can't have this Vulcan-like attitude at work in medicine. Medicine is, isn't this vacuum. And, you know, if you're thinking that you're going to be like this Spock kind of person who can go in a room and have touch no... Touch them and know. Yeah, touch them and just know or just look at them, have this intuitive Sherlock Holmesian but like the, the thing is, we're we're DOs, so we actually can touch the patient and know. I mean, so, <laughs> so that's... I'm just, I'm just saying, you know... <laughs> I must have we'll missed that, that day in med school. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, I can't do any joint manipulation, and I can't do any chiropractic like stuff that you guys do. Yeah. So. <laughs> but like, but like, I like where you're going there. Where you know, working in academics, I feel like so many times we get angry with residents when they don't do what we want them to do, or I, attendings will come vent to me and be like, "Oh, well, they ordered too many tests," and I just. I, I listen, and then I go, how many patients did you have to see before you feel comfortable in ordering a CAT scan? And that you, they're usually like, all right, I get it. And it's like, because it's true. You have This is called the practice of medicine, and you have to trust your gut, and there has to be enough negatives. You have to see enough abdominal pains with negative CAT scans to realize, here are the people I don't need a CAT scan on. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, one other thing was, especially taking it back into nursing, you know, one thing I've uh, developed over the years is, I've always, if I ever go kind of a weird direction in a workup of a patient that doesn't typically fit what I do, and the nurses have kind of kind of come to know me as one that doesn't overorder tests, and I try to be a little more minimalist and front end with my physical exam and history and kind of work through shared decision making. And if I ever do this kind of different workup where I'm ordering a lot more tests in the front end, I'll actually usually talk to the nurses and just say, hey, I know this is a little bit odd because typically we don't do this for this type of patient for this type of problem. But here's what I'm thinking about. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, too. And usually that adds in a little bit of trust more. And that would be a good example of this case, too, of, hey, I know this potentially could be a overdose, but here's what I'm thinking differently. I'm going to treat this a little bit different. If you don't mind, just indulge me on that. And I think that really helps kind of get them your side and lets them thinking more uh, instead of asking these questions like, why are we, you know, why are we doing this early on? That kind of thing. It's a typical chest pain patient. You know what I mean? And that's where I give a ton of kudos to my attending at the time was he saw the need at the end of the case to be like, let's just chat about this and let's everybody work our, work our through what we thought we saw. And then when we saw the patient, what did we see? And I really think it comes down to when I think about this case and the take homes are is one, learn to learn to follow and trust your gut. It usually is right, or it's usually going to keep you safe. I guess our guts are not always right, but our guts are designed to keep us safe. When you do have an instance when you are going to have a disagreement with a coworker, whether it's a nurse, a consultant, you're attending, somebody else that you're working with, figure out a way to do that in a way that doesn't belittle the other person. Not everybody needs to be handing out humble pie to the pe people that are wrong and you know having a parade for themselves when they're right. And then also, like, like Tanner brought up and, and also others, is, is that find a way to check your biases. 
because we all have that one thing that we anchor on, and that is the one thing, or those are the one things that will get you in trouble. You can't have one thing, Andy. Yeah, that's too many things. That's plural. That's too many. Th- you, you can have multiple <laughs> things, or you can have one thing. Andy, I love how you talked about not essentially not hating on other people too when they're doing stuff, and that's just like a good a good thing in medicine. I found in general, whether it be consultants, I would joke around with fellow colleagues. I'm sure you guys do too, where you make jokes, but you don't hate. You know, it's so it's you know it's okay to make jokes internally, but you don't want that to spill over to where other staff are seeing those jokes or it's outwardly causing a caustic situation or whatnot. I always try to see where my colleagues are coming from. We're all in this together. Everyone has different opinions. And at the end of the day, there are going to be times I'm going to be wrong, but I know that good karma, at least that I've built up, will hopefully come back, you know, and they'll help me out when I need it as well. I think that's such a poignant point to end on that, it, you know, it's it's teamwork and coming together as a team. Andy, that was a, a super cool case, but we're not done because this is just introducing a concept and we're so excited to have the EM board bomb guys join us here. Thanks for doing that. But before you leave this episode, be sure to check out the links in our show notes so you can go straight to their episode. We're going to get some awesome insight on how to treat these intracranial hemorrhages. So Ian Board, Bomb Guys, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure, really. Uh, really love listening to your show, and you guys are awesome. Thanks for having us. Well, we're uh, excited to have you and excited to be a part of your show, too. So for all of our listeners, be sure to check them out. We will link all of their awesome stuff into our show notes uh, and put a plug right on the feed for this. But uh, thanks for listening to us. Be sure to check us out on our social media sites, Twitter, a little bit on the Faceplace Facebook, and of course, our blog site, emovereasy.com, where our blog editors are doing some awesome, awesome work. Until next time, stay safe out there. thanks so much for listening to the end of the episode. And don't forget that we are now the official podcasting partner for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians, or the ACOAP. Visit acoap.org to learn more about this great organization, upcoming CME opportunities, and more about our partnership with them as a college. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. (music) 